I'm John. And I'm John. We're classically trained conductors who are also working theater music directors. Each week, we'll tell you a little bit about shows we enjoy and why you should check them out if you haven't yet. This is Musical Minutes with John and John. Hi, John. Hi, John. How are you doing today? Oh, I'm all right. I'm all right. You know, I have another project that I'm working on. Work is a very generous term. I have another project that I've been <laughs> talked into that I participate in, wherein my uh, good friend and now boss, no correlation with this project, uh, forces me to listen to heavy metal music and then offers a lecture wherein uh, I am essentially the student and respond to uh, this music. And I have to say, I hate most of it. This last episode that we recorded yesterday was about the band Death. And uh, <laughs> it's not really my cup of tea as we sit here getting ready to talk about a musical. And I'm just very happy to be back in the land of musical theater, even if today we are talking about what, John? Today we are talking about Cats. Oh with music by Andrew Lloyd Webber, lyrics by T.S. Eliot, additional lyrics by Trevor Nunn and Richard Stilgo, Based on T.S. Eliot's collections of poetry, Old Possum's Book of Practical Cats. Cats opened at the Winter Garden Theater on October 7th, 1982 and played for 7,845 performances before closing on September 10th in the year 2000. Cats was directed by Trevor Nunn with music direction by Stanley Lebowski and Renee Wiegert and choreography was by Jillian Lynn. The original Broadway cast included Betty Buckley as Grizabella, Kenneth Ard as McCavity, Ken Page as Old Deuteronomy, Terrence Mann as Rum Tum Tugger, Reed Jones as Skimbleshanks, and Cynthia Ornrubia as Victoria. Katz was nominated for 11 Tony Awards and won seven, including Best Musical, Best Book, Original score, best featured actress for Betty Buckley, best direction, best costumes, and lighting design. Act one. After the overture, a tribe of cats known as the Jellicles gather on stage and describe themselves and their purpose. The cats notice that they are being watched by a human audience and proceed to explain how the different cats of the tribes are named. Strap. The show's main narrator explains that tonight, the Jellicle leader, Old Deuteronomy, will make an appearance and choose one of the cats to be reborn into a new life on the heavyside lair. First to be introduced is Jenny Anydots, a large tabby cat who lazes around all day, but come nighttime, she teaches mice and cockroaches various activities to curb their naturally destructive habits. Just as Jenny Anydots finishes her song, the music changes suddenly and Rum Tum Tugger makes an extravagant entrance in the front of the tribe. He is very fickle and not easily appeased, for he will do as he do do, and there's no doing anything about it. As Rum Tum Tugger's song fades, a shabby old gray cat stumbles out, Grizabella. All the cats back away from her in fear and disgust and explain her unfortunate state. 
Grizabella leaves and the music changes to a cheerful upbeat number as Bustopher Jones, a fat cat in a coat of fastidious black, enters. Bustopher Jones is among the elite of the cats and visits prestigious gentlemen's clubs, not those kind, the other kind. Suddenly, a loud crash startles the tribe and the cats run off stage in fright. Hushed giggling sounds the entrance of Mungo Jerry and Rumple Teaser, a pair of near-identical cats. They are mischievous, petty burglars who enjoy causing trouble around the neighborhood. Finally, the Jellical Patriarch, Old Deuteronomy, arrives before the tribe. He is a wise old cat who has lived many lives and is tasked with choosing the Jellical who will go to the Heaviside Lair every year. The cats put on a play for Old Deuteronomy, the awful battle of the Peaks and the Pollicles, telling a story about two dog gangs clashing in the street and subsequently being scared away by the great rumpus cat. A somber conclusion from Old Deuteronomy is interrupted by a second loud crash, which sends the alarmed cat scurrying once more. After a quick search, Old Deuteronomy deems it a false alarm and summons the cats back as the main celebration begins, in which the cats sing and display their Terpsichorean powers. During the ball, Grizabella reappears and is once again shunned by the other cats while Old Deuteronomy looks on sadly. She tries to dance along, but her age and decrepit condition prevent her from doing so. Act 2 Old Deuteronomy opens Act 2 by contemplating what happiness is, subtly referring to Grizabella. However, Jemima, the youngest of all Jellicles, is the only one that understands who he's singing of. Knowing it must be Grizabella, she reprises the melody of her song. Gus, short for asparagus, shuffles forward as the next cat to be introduced. He was once a famous actor, but is now old and suffers from palsy, which makes his paws shake. He is accompanied by Jelly Lorem, his caretaker, who tells of his exploits. Gus then remembers how he once played the infamous pirate captain Growl Tiger. Gus tells the story about the pirate captain's romance with Lady Griddlebone and how Growl Tiger was overtaken by the Siamese and forced to walk the plank to his death. After Gus's story, we are introduced to Skimbleshanks. He is the cat who is unofficially in charge of the night train to Glasgow. Skimbleshanks is considered vital to the rail operations, as without him, the train can't start. Within his song, a whole steam train engine is assembled out of objects in the junkyard. With a third crash and an evil laugh, the most wanted cat, McCavity, appears. He is the so-called Napoleon of crime, who always manages to evade the authorities. McCavity's henchmen capture old Deuteronomy and take off with the patriarch in tow. As Monkestrap and his troop give chase, Demeter and Bombalarina explain what they know about McCavity. When they are finished, McCavity returns disguised as old Deuteronomy, but his cover is blown by Demeter, and he ends up in a fight with Monkestrap and Alonzo. McCavity holds his own for a time, but as the rest of the tribe begin to gang up and surround him, he shorts out the stage lights and escapes in the resulting confusion. After the fight, Rumtum Tugger calls upon the magician Mr. Mistopheles for help. Known as the original conjuring cat, 
Mr. Mistopheles can perform feats of magic that no other cat can do. He displays his magical powers in a dance solo and uses them to restore the lights and bring back old Deuteronomy. Now the jellical choice can be made. Before old Deuteronomy can make his decision, Grizabella returns to the junkyard and old Deuteronomy allows her to address the gathering. Her faded appearance and lonely disposition fade away in the face of her song. With acceptance and encouragement from Jemima and Victoria, her appeal succeeds and she is chosen to be the one to go to the heaviside lair and be reborn into a new jellical life. A tire rises from the piles of junk, carrying Grizabella and old Deuteronomy partway towards the sky. Grizabella then completes the journey on her own. Finally, old Deuteronomy gives an address to the audience, instructing them on how to properly address a cat. Okay, this is cats. Um, I don't know about your experience, but talking to performers that I have worked with my entire life, people either love this show or they hate this show. And there's no in-between. Well, okay, let me rephrase that. There's very little in between. And honestly, while you and I may not necessarily enjoy the show, may not enjoy its execution, um, I will admit there are parts of this show that are actually well constructed to me. I think some of the music, well, may not be the most exciting and original is well-constructed, and of everything that Andrew Lloyd Webber has written, it's probably the most diverse. You've got 70s disco, you've got 80s rock, you've got ballads from the 60s, you've got Andrew's sister-style numbers from the 40s. So, I mean, if nothing else, I've got to give Andrew Lloyd Webber a little credit for varying up his style enough to be this eclectic. Yeah, I mean... For him, having diversity of musical styles is, I think, something to be appreciated, given how a lot of his other shows just sort of sound like the same thing for two hours. And, I mean, it has to be said, Memory is a good song. Memory? Memory? Is it plural? Yeah. It's singular. Memory. It's singular. Yeah. It's been a long time since I've seen this show. No, it, and it's fair. And, I mean... If nothing else, the song has entered the cultural zeitgeist uh, to the nth degree. People who don't like Broadway, people who don't know Broadway, even to the point of, you know, knowing what Phantom of the Opera is or Les Mis or Cats or or any, you know, Wicked or any of these kind of tentpole AAA titles, no memory because it was a massive crossover hit it got played on radio stations it's been used in commercials it's been used in movies i at one point i swear i heard it on a christmas music station i don't know why because that's just bizarre but i mean there are moments of this show that are culturally like niched in in what we view in art um, I will fully admit I have performed, I've performed, I have music directed this show twice to greater and late, less success. It's, 
And I think that's a good portion of where my view of, I don't know that I like this show. I don't know that I dislike this show. I think there are moments that are well-constructed. I think, like you said, Memory is a great song. I think the Jellicle Ball, as far as a dance number goes, is impressive, if nothing else, for its early 80s Broadway rock mega musical-esque sound. And despite all of its problems, which I will fully admit both times that I've done it, we straight up just modified lyrics to make it um, less racist. Um, Old Gus and Growl Tiger's Last Stand, from a musical standpoint, is actually pretty well done. Yeah, it's funny you said people seem to be either on one side or the other in terms of loving this show or hating this show. And I have a very... um, difficult relationship with this show personally because as a now musically educated adult I have a hard time listening to and appreciating Cats from an entertainment point of view I'm not saying that to devalue what it does well and there are things that it does well it's just not really my cup of tea but as a child Cats was the first and the only musical that I ever saw live growing up because I lived in Anchorage, Alaska, and there were not a terribly large amount of shows that toured up to Anchorage. And I saw the Broadway tour of Cats. And as a child, I loved it. I loved it so much, I forced my mother to buy the VHS tape that they sold after the show. And I watched that thing over and over and over the way it fades in with the cat eyes, with the people dancing in them. That is like seared into my memory. And I know that I horribly, horribly, horribly performed Rum Tum Tugger's song many, many times in my bathroom growing up as a child. And that is where my introduction with musical theater started. And there is nothing I can do about that. Well, in full disclosure, I had that exact same VHS tape growing up, so it wasn't just you. Um, I actually remember saving up allowance money to buy it because that was the way I was going to get it. And so I also made a very concerted effort to get this VHS tape. And honestly, you know, it's something we were talking about in our our kind of our our lead up into this when we were going through things um before we started recording cats is not high art it's it just it's not it is lowest common denominator theater and some of that has to do with the whole concept of the mega musical and we're going to get into that in a couple minutes but cats is the nice cozy ranch home that is one level there's no basement there's no attic there's no surprises you know where everything is in it there's no shocks or or upsetting things it's it exists and whether you enjoy it or not is almost irrelevant to the show because it's meant to exist it's meant to entertain you for a couple of hours and then move on you know there's no there's no deeper meaning to this show despite so many attempts to, to place it. Yeah. And I mean, 
that's not to discredit what the show does well either. You know, it's a well-built home. There's good songs and the, you know, the dancing throughout the show is phenomenal. I mean, the original choreography was really spectacular in a way that might seem commonplace now, but was maybe not so much when it first was happening. No, I, I agree totally. And that actually gets us a little bit into this concept of the mega musical. And we've talked about the mega musical in past episodes. So the mega musical era actually is officially, if you're, if you're reading, you know, the, the unwritten history books of, of 20 and 21st century Broadway, AKA Wikipedia, Cats is actually credited with being the first musical of the mega musical era. And what that means is it is a big show with a big cast. It relies very, very heavily on its technical elements, its set design, its costume design, its lighting design, its special effects, um, as well as really being mired in this just massive sound. It's also thought with an eye towards repeatability. So a mega musical was not only just something that had all of these over-the-top elements, but they were elements that could be duplicated so that when they decided to pack a a show up and put it on tour or take it to a different city, you could replicate this show down to the nth degree with no variation, which is not something that was really uniform up until the late 70s, early 80s, even in touring productions. You would have changes, you'd have differences um, in each venue because you would have to, because you were dealing with different levels of technology, you were different different stages and stuff like that. And because you were at the mercy of when you moved into a theater using that equipment, then you you had to make changes. With the mega musical era and Cats, especially on that first national tour, it shipped with all its own sound gear, all its own lighting gear, all its own, like the, Cats was the first show that basically brought its own floor with it, which would then be laid out on top of the stage with all of the markings and everything so that they could then define the space as what they needed despite what other limitations there may have been. And whether we like that or not, whether we appreciate that or not, again, is almost irrelevant because let's be honest, for the longest time, and I I will fully admit when I was doing writing up the rundown for this, I meant to check what's currently in first place and I forgot. But for the longest time, Cats was the longest playing Broadway show and we mentioned it in in our in our rundown with 7845 performances which first of all is mind blowing and that's not even the longest cats production the original production that was on west end that actually opened a year before the broadway production had 8000 949 performances before closing their initial run. That still wouldn't crack the current top three longest running shows. What are so what are the top three right now? Number three, The Lion uh-huh. King, 9,317. Okay. Number two, the 96 revival of Chicago. Because it's still it's still running too. So 9,704. 
And then number one, Phantom of the Opera at 13,370 <laughs> performances. And what's mind blowing about that is a real quick aside. There are, I don't know about the cast. I know for the longest time there was, but I know for a fact there are still three musicians in the Phantom of the Opera Orchestra who were with the orchestra opening night of that show. And so while they may not have played all 13,000 performances with subs and vacations and this and that, that's mind blowing. That's, that's, that's a career. That's, that, that's what that is. I mean, that's, that's when you, you know, in, you're sitting in front of the fireplace in, in the, the rocking chair with the, the blanket on your lap and your grandkids are curled around your feet and they're like, grandpa, tell us what you did for a living. Well, I did that for 20 years and you know that's that's mind-blowing I mean there I mean there are shows that close less than a year I mean flops notwithstanding there are shows that are bona fide critical hits that people have loved and have been awarded Tonys and and critical acclaim that don't last a year and, you know, at fair. Okay, so this wouldn't even crack the top three at this point. But when it did close in 2000, it definitely, like, like, that was a big, big, big deal. And the fact that there's only three shows that have played longer at this point, one of which is also an Andrew Lloyd Andrew Webber, Webber show. show yeah. <laughs> you know, that that's saying a lot. And let's be honest, the, the monolith that is Lion King will never close. Ever, no, ever, ever. D- Disney will pay to keep that running as long as Broadway exists. Well, cr- and some, I'm sure someone will correct me if I'm wrong. Disney bought that theater. I believe that is correct. That is, so let's be honest. The Lion King playing in the theater it is will always play in that like that is that's it that that's it game over man game over anyway (laughs) so i mean all of this really feeds into kind of what i was trying to get at earlier it almost is irrelevant about the content of its artistic merit because it's become so commercially popular that it now has this cultural appeal that's that's where that's where it it, it starts and it ends you know it's like we said it's warm it's inviting it's comfortable you don't have to think about it and so i get it i really really do yeah i just i just want to tack on to that this one little anecdote from Hal Prince. Hal Prince, we've talked about many times on the show, fantastic director, producer, uh, probably most notable for his work with Stephen Sondheim, um, producing musicals that are very, very, very different from Cats. Very different. And Hal Prince was at a an early showing or a rehearsal, something. He, he saw Cats and he was sitting there with Andrew Lloyd Webber. And he, he turned to Andrew and, and he was saying, I don't get it. You know, is, is there something here? Like, is, is, is someone the queen? And are these like uh, telling a, a story, a struggle, something that I can't relate to because I'm not English? And Andrew Lloyd Webber paused. He turned to Hal and he said, it's just cats. And they never spoke about it again. I mean, 
he's not wrong. It is really just cats. One thing I really wanted to talk about before we kind of wrap this up, though, and it this is this is the part of the conversation that I I don't know how it is on your end, but actors that I've talked to and I've, actors I've worked with, this is this is like our version of the philosophical debate, and they again they love it or they hate it. The plot, the plot, quote unquote, of Cats, if you think about it, is the exact same plot of a chorus line, which drives actors insane. They're like, how dare you compare Cats and chorus line? It's so deep and, 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 and it's meaningful and it's about that struggle to get on Broadway and Cats is about Cats. And, and, but if you think about it, it's about a bunch of, entities whether they're cats or dancers telling their life stories hoping to get picked for something and at the end some of them get picked and some of them don't and then it's over so i mean there's a little bit of a there's a little bit of a kernel of truth to this idea of cats and chorus line having the same plot now this is the point where you break in to tell me how crazy I am. No, so, okay. It, technically, I don't think you're wrong. But I think where you have entered the realm of error is in thinking about the plot of Cats. I think just by initiating mental engagement into the plot of Cats, you have gone one step further than the show asks you to. And that one step is one step too far. No, and, and you're right. And I will fully admit some of this is, you know, very, very tongue implanted in cheek-esque. Um, and what I would argue, you know, and as, as fun as it is to kind of be that music theater troll, the reality is, is that yes, okay, on the surface, Cats and Chorus Line may have similar plots. But what you say is more true. First of all, Cats doesn't really have a plot and while the situations may be the same a chorus line is a show that while it is focused on telling each dancer's story there is this overarching concept of auditioning for a show to get in the chorus their hopes their dreams their aspirations their experience and getting through this audition with cats Okay, so we're told at the very beginning that they are all basically being pick-me girls so that old Deuteronomy can pick one of them with no rubric that we actually know to go to the heavy side layer. Now you're asking yourself, what is the heavy side layer? It's never actually explained. We don't know what the heavy side layer is. And so after a very short while, we don't care anymore. And so great, Grizabella at the end, dark, you know, dark horse cat, dark cat. Yep, I'm with you. Keep going. Un under cat um, gets picked and and ascends to the heavy side layer. We still don't know what that means. We still don't know what the outcome of that is. And as a concept, it is so undefined that I stop caring. And as a as a consequence, any concept of a throughput in thought in this show is destroyed and all it ends up being is a really really awesome dance show 
with some decent to good lyrics. Like that that's it. Like I I don't care. Yay, Grizabella. I'm glad you got picked. Um, but I don't know really what you got picked for. And I don't know what's gonna happen next, and you don't care enough to explain it to me. So whatever. At least in a chorus line, when we have our people who end up in the chorus, we know what the goal is. We know where they're going. We know what comes next. We can we can feel happy for these people. We can feel sad for those who weren't chosen. Um, so yes, there are plot points that are the same, but the shows are still so completely different. And I think it's an unanswerable question until science cracks the code of interspecies communication and we can finally talk to our cats and ask them what on earth is going on in their strange little minds. But until that point, if you haven't listened to cats, you don't have to. It's okay. But if you want to, there are recordings available. Many, many recordings. Well, that should just about do it for this episode. If you'd like to reach out to us, you can drop us a line at musicalminutespodcast at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Facebook at Musical Minutes with John and John, or on Twitter at Musical Mins Pod. That's Musical M-I-N-S Pod. Intro and outro music, Bebop 25, is provided under the Creative Commons Attribution 4.0 International License by Jason Shaw on Audionautics.com. Thank you for joining us. I'm John. And I'm John. And we'll see you next time.